0: Here's Parks Associates Smart
1: Tech Check Podcast with Mark Vina. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, leader of the Parks Associates Smart Home Research Practice, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, where we cover all consumer tech talk, consumer tech topics. There's smart home, home home automation, security and console gaming related, and much, much more. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2021. Uh, it's a big week this week, as it always is in technology, and we've got some really interesting, actually a, a bit far-out topics to talk about this week. And uh, with that, let me bring up my usual uh, partners in crimes here. I've got Stuart Walpin, uh, who is the uh, writer for Twice and tech- Techlicious, Rob Pecorero, who writes for USA Today, Fast Company, and Wirecutter. And I'm going to use a different word th- this week for for John Quain. I called the Stuart, I think, irrepressible last week. I'll say that you're irrepressible, John.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs> we take turns every week.
1: Yes. You know, well, you know, being irrepressible is a, it's a tough uh, act to follow every week. Uh, uh, John is actually a writer for the New York Times and uh, writes for a number of other periodicals, including um, Tom's Guide. But, guys, thank you for, for joining me for today's podcast. This one will be a little bit, uh, some of the topics are a little bit interesting, I think, in my, uh, in my opinion. But uh, welcome to the podcast. And how are you guys doing uh, this uh, today? Anything new in your life, Stuart? I think you're down in Washington, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I am in our nation's capital. I'm switching places with the president, who's in, in my town of New York. In new York, right. right? Hand off. Oh boy, uh-huh. you're switching I, places. I really with wanted the to keep oh, the traffic so like on, on the east side.
2: You didn't leave you the football, though, right?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope the nuclear football has a better password scheme than many of the uh, software schemes that you see. On today's smart home devices, but that's that's a, that's a different uh, that's a different discussion, Rob. But you and not you're in you're at home, aren't you?
2: I'm yeah. in Arlington, Virginia, just across the yeah. Potomac River, and uh, it's a day where I've been struggling with Wi-Fi issues, which makes it a day ending in Y. Really? Yeah, I don't know. You know, new Mac Mini, it's great. It, it either it doesn't like my router, or the router doesn't like the computer, and so. Fortunately, I never threw away the old router, so that's <laughs> plugged in on the floor, and there's an Ethernet cable running from that to the to the to the desktop right here.
1: Did you, you broke down and you you wanted an M1 Mac mini? So what
2: finally got me to do it was first of all seeing uh, our old friend's B and H photo video in, in Manhattan, knock a hundred bucks off the price. And then Apple finally started selling the very convenient touch ID keyboard. So I could finally use biometric security instead of typing in.
1: You know, oh, you. Yeah. I might have a sale there because it wasn't it wasn't supported on the on on anything outside that that iMac. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. They, they
2: weren't selling it separately. They started selling it on a standalone basis sometime in August, I guess. And so, oh wow, that and that led me to decide. You know, I think my wife is tired of me swearing at the computer. I should do something about that.
1: Wow, wow. I did not know that. That uh, I may I may be joining you and purchased one of those one of those one of those bad boys. Anyway, John, how are you? How, how are things going with you?
3: Today, so uh, in the, I'm in the usual Manhattan ensconced here. Uh, no trouble with Wi-Fi, hopefully today. Knock on wood.
1: <laughs> well, without any further ado, I'm sure Wi-Fi will probably come up during the call. <laughs> Some it always comes up in any anything. Yes, there, when it knocks me off <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh boy! So let's bring up the first topic here. And that is, and what what alluded what to that? Um, home networking, Wi-Fi extenders, and purchase intention. and without you know going into a lot of we, we do a lot of research on this particular topic. And we're finding in Parks associates that the interest in enhancing people's um, home networks has gone up dramatically over the last um, it's, it's been on a, a tear for the last several years, but it's been particularly on a tear over the last year. Go figure, people are living in, are working at home more frequently, they're spending more time, and they're looking for convenient ways to upgrade the coverage in their homes. So this is a stat. We have the data broken down, but this is the, the combined uh, stat of data in terms of people's purchase intention levels. They haven't purchased anything yet, but they're intending to purchase um, at a disproportionate level for both Wi-Fi routers, extenders, and even new routers uh, uh, and mesh routers, by the way, are in this category as well. I cannot believe this shocks you, John see data like this
3: right? no i mean uh i I, you know uh, this is sort of like the cable companies and the cellular companies and uh used car salesmen. nobody's happy with their wi-fi connection so any improvement that you're going to promise them is is going to be something that they're going to go for probably yeah i have some actually netgear equipment i have to return that i've been testing for a while and Wi-Fi 6 and it actually is a significant improvement. It has made things more stable by and large and juggling a lot of smart devices and stuff. So I can see why and so far so good, it's, it's, it does seem to be an improvement.
0: Stuart. You mentioned it, what percentage of those are mesh networks because it would seem to me that most people who are literally homeowners People who actually own homes would be far better off with a mesh network, but I don't know whether or not the industry or the individual manufacturers Have been able to differentiate their products in such a way that consumers know what a mesh system even is as compared to an extender. And certainly, I I don't count on the salesman at your local Best Buy to be able to explain the difference either. So, I'm curious as to both what percentage of that is mesh network, what percentage of that is Wi Fi 6, and whether or not the companies are doing anything to really boost. The, the marketing presence of mesh networks, which would seem to me to be the far superior solution for most homeowners.
1: Well, I, I can tell you, because I'm presenting some data tomorrow on, on uh, one of our virtual events that we're conducting on, by the way, on home networking and Wi-Fi tomorrow, uh, that uh, thir- I, I wanna say 32, it's either thir- I think it's 32 or 33% of the people we polled, you know, we poll 10,000 people every quarter, having net this is ownership, have a Wi-Fi mesh, whole home mesh network system, which that leaves 68% of the market it's still wide open for people who yeah. have operated. And by the way, I violently agree with what you're saying. I think mesh is the most um, inaccurate misleading word of all time for the average consumers. They don't get it. Um, I've had Orbeez for the last several years and I love them. Every time they upgrade to a new wireless standard from, they were at AC. Now they're at uh, Wi-Fi six. I've got a call with them next week. I'm sure they're upgrading to 6E eventually. There's a whole conversation we can have about Wi-Fi protocol fatigue because too many letters are confusing people. But I agree with you that the mesh routers, for anyone who has one in their home, especially if it's an older home, which with old construction, old materials in the walls, it can be mind-blowing in terms of the coverage improvements you can get. I mean yeah. Rob do you do you have any uh, is, now you we were talking before the uh, recording started that you're having some issues with your router and your you know your brand specific
2: router but I also live in a very old home that's 101 years old so yes lots of walls uh, this wall to my left is actual drywall but mostly it's you know lath slats and plaster so it it has certain degrading properties on our networking <laughs> sometimes so yeah, I'm puzzling it through one thing at a time. Uh, one thing I'd want to know that maybe you can put this in your next quiz: How, how long do people keep their existing wireless network uh, routers?
1: Do you know we have? We believe it or not, Parks has data on that, and <laughs> I don't. I, I don't have that at my fingertips, but I, I want to say routers are in the neighborhood of three to five years. You know, it's relatively, and I think that's probably. You know, remember, if the average is four or five years, that means there are people who've had them for nine years and people like me who upgrade, you know, at the drop of a hat. Uh, But, um, you know, routers are one of those things. And I'm sure all of you have experienced when I love going to gyms and, you know, I'll log on with routerlogin.net, you know, because nobody knows any better. (laughs) And And it's always fascinating to me how someone will have, some of these gyms will have very old routers because they just don't want to upgrade them. And they haven't, haven't updated the firmware in years. And and by the way, the router companies don't want you to upgrade the firmware because they, there's too many opportunities for for problems if that happens. But um, you know, the nice thing about you know uh, the mesh routers and, and and probably more expansively this concept of managed Wi-Fi, where you buy a solution from Plume, for example, which they have Wi-Fi six uh, mesh pods, and they manage all that stuff in the background. You don't have to think about upgrading firmware. They control everything. Of course, they charge a subscription fee for that capability. But more and more service providers, of course, are doing that because they want the revenue and they think they can do a better job of managing your home network than you probably can.
0: Well, I think there's another issue that needs to be addressed. My mother-in-law just had AT&T bring her a new router and I'm on the phone with her trying to explain. And I don't think that even most average people understand, forget mesh, most people, average people, don't understand what the difference between a router and a modem is, and the cable companies are of no help. They center the router with no instructions whatsoever. And so she has no idea what's going on, what to plug and what to unplug, how difficult or easy, not a clue. And she's going to have to have a technician come out and do it, which is to me, considering the the utility-like nature of this, is insanity to me that this technology remains so mysterious to people, to everybody who now requires
1: it. John, uh, John, a question for you, because you're in an apartment in New York if I'm not mistaken, correct? Right, I am right now, yeah. Do you you think that you need a, a mesh router or you think that's overkill for an apartment?
3: I need a mesh router. I mean, if I was in, you know, I'm in a one bedroom apartment, but um, it's again, this building is 110 years old or something like that. And uh, at least, and its walls are actually really thick. um, And there's a lot of interference. You know, some of the rooms are built like a Faraday cage, right? They're just they've got wire and God knows what in those walls. So Ah, uh, yeah. Actually, uh, I've my experience has been I've needed to have mesh networks, and I've, I've installed them in my previous apartment too for same reason. Um, and I have them in my house, you know, because there the the distance is such that yes. um, you need it. But in this case, there's just a lot of interference.
1: Well, and that's a great point because you know old construction may be charming, but it's not particularly friendly for um, for Wi-Fi coverage. But the other point you just made, John. Is that people have you know that now the smart home is really expanding beyond just your your physical residence. You know you've got devices with cameras in the back that are um, overseeing the uh, driveway and the perimeter of your property, and you may be able to get power there, but you, you know you're you're out of luck, of course, if you can't get a good reliable internet connection. So those the mesh routers come in very handy. Um, and again, I, I tend to plug Orbi because the Netgear solution, because I've been using them for years, and, and there, there's several good brands out there, but Orbi is pretty, I think, pretty good. And uh, you can get some, you can get incredible coverage. You know, you buy two or three of those um, uh, satellites, and you might get five or six thousand square feet of coverage, which is pretty, yeah. pretty big. Uh, but let's let's flip on to the net first topic. <laughs> And if I recall, I wait, Rob, was this you who teed this up, or was it still? Uh,
2: well, I, I hope I was not the only one to suggest it. Yeah. Well,
1: it's well, it's, a, it's absolutely a hot topic. Apple and, and Google bowing. I, I changed the language because I want I did not want to offend either of those companies. I'm that type of guy. No, but they really I did. Knew. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true though. I mean, there you know this smart voting app thing, um, which you know. I, And and this is the thing, honestly, that infuriates me about big tech is that, you know, they opine on being, you know, know, we're for, you know, fundamental human rights of which, you know, voting certainly is a fundamental human right, I think, in in many respects. And then all of a sudden, guess what? We're going to blow this app up because we don't want to alienate the Russians. And I just... And there's other manifestations of this. This is not the only time this has happened. But I, I want to, Rob, let me uh, flip it up to you because I'm sure you've got some, some a strong point of view on this.
2: Yeah. So the backstory here is this was an app created by uh, the the opposition group led by Alexei Navalny, the, the dissident who is now in jail, possibly for the rest of his life, um, which basically attempted to coordinate voting to basically suggest to people look of the candidates that the ruling party is allowing to run. This one is most likely to win and beat out the anointed candidates, everybody to vote for this person. And so it's saying where you do need to have some sort of collective action and intelligence, and apparently this is what you'd want to do, because the website Navalny was using for that was already blocked. Uh, the Russian government did not take kindly of this and apparently directly threatened both Apple and Google with arrests of their employees in Russia which, yes, I get it, there are business complications. Uh, that said, you know, first of all, with Apple, this is the completely predictable consequence of having the App Store be the only way for widespread distribution of software on an iPhone. It guarantees, it's a choke point that any too good authoritarian in the world, in a country in which Apple does business, is going to want to seize control of that. We've seen it in China, so totally not surprising. Android, at least you can install things off the Play Store. There is that. You could sideload it. Um, what I want to know that both these companies are doing is you know, that they had, certainly Google has thought long and hard about, what do we do about China? And their answer is to not do business. They were considering it. There was a project to launch a search engine just for the People's Republic. And they backed off on that because their own employees didn't like it. Mm. Um, you know, Apple doesn't have that luxury since where their iPhone's getting made, China. With Russia, it is not as important to both these companies. So I want to know what are they doing to reduce their leverage to whatever stupid thing Vladimir Putin wants them to do to prop up his worthless regime. Um, and I also want them to, you know, Apple's response in a case like this is to say nothing, which right. is the least helpful thing Apple could do. Right. right. Apple, I guess is giving background comments, but at some point they need to say that, you know, say what it is that is going on because we all know it and just whistling past the graveyard of russian democracy is not really uh they're not going to cover themselves with honor that way
1: well you know when you make when you make you know tough statements like this at a ceo level which i think is what you're essentially saying you know because those words carry weight you have to be prepared to say you know what we're not going to do business in this country you know and not many companies are prepared to do that in fact i can't think of Really, any companies. There are some companies that will refuse to do business in places that they don't find. Uh,
2: Facebook. I have to give them grudging respect since they've decided China. No, yes, it's a billion people. We'd love to have them, but it's just not worth it.
1: Right, John, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, the same. The same issues. You know, uh, companies like Yahoo have had trouble for years in China and other places. And look, some of these issues have led to people actually you know, dying, being killed for this, you know, information and stuff that's out there. It's not just banning some, but also divulging information to these governments. Um, this is certainly a problem. And Rob's right about Apple just trying to pretend it's not happening. It's just even worse than, you know, it's kind of the the Tesla approach to it. We don't have the technology, we'll just pretend like we have it. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a serious problem for them. I mean, If Putin, it's not even the Russian government, it's a single person. If that person just wants something off there, they just take it off there. That's a problem for those companies.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Stuart, I'll give you the last word.
0: Uh, Word. Um, Word. (laughs) Word. Word.
1: I I think Apple's between
0: a rock and a hard place here. I mean, any public company obviously has their first responsibilities to their shareholders. And this is not to defend Apple. They need a creative solution to deal with this. They're at the mercy, to a certain extent, not only of the threats from the Russian government to to prosecute individual Apple employees, but you have to remember, Russia also passed a law declaring uh, that party to be a terrorist organization. And so they have to abide by local laws, just like they have to abide by local law in the United States. So I think what's necessary here is some much more of one, a creative solution. But I don't think that these companies can make these, can do this on their own. I think the Googles, the Apples, and all of these other companies that operate, Microsoft that operate in these totalitarian states, need to come together to figure out something. Because individually, just because Google has decided not to do business in China, it's not going to impact China one bit. Their software people have created their own operating systems, and they're not having any problem. I think it's all of these companies would have to come together And whether with Facebook and Microsoft and Apple and and all of these tech giants, instead of operating individually and making their own decisions, I think they all need to get together and decide how they're going to deal with these totalitarian totalitarian states. Because together, they might have a lot more power than they right now have to out as individual companies.
2: And, And one other thing, CSAM. Apple's plan to stop the distribution of child sex abuse material, not by scanning stuff uploaded to its own computers, but when it's right on your own device. And Apple has said, we will resist. If any government said, take this tool and use it to scan for other things. Did Apple resist a lot here? Like that's a problem. It's one thing when you can say, this thing you want us to do, we can't. The technology doesn't exist. It's another one. Well, yeah, it's here, but it's not for that purpose.
3: Well, and also you have to remember they didn't do a heck of a lot about uh, meddling in our elections either with the disinformation campaigns. And the FSB continues to do these disinformation campaigns about vaccines and foment as much dissent as they can, not only in the United States, but in other countries. And when you're silent about that, too, and then you take down an app. Apple has more money than God. There's no reason why they shouldn't just say, you know what? We're not taking it down. We're, we'll get our employees out of there. We'll do it all remote. What if they just involved? gave Vladimir Putin just handing out billions of dollars until he would just leave? Well,
2: <laughs> out? He's got to have a price, right? No, I think that you know, right?
0: we know what we know what they are. Now we're just discussing price. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it is
3: like the sustainability issue, though, too. All these companies have all jumped on the climate change sustainability aspect and they have sustainability officers that work for their companies and they spend a lot of money on that and this is a similar kind of issue in terms of they need you know an ethics officer what they do in countries that have these rules do they keep the app on do they deny it what do they do about india what happens when that government changes and they decide they don't like certain things in the app store Um, they need to spend a lot more time and effort i think on that just as they are for sustainability
1: well, again, this can be. A, we could talk about this topic forever because I think yeah. we all have very common, <laughs> common. I, I, we, I think we're all. You know, we might come at this in different ways, but I think all of us have really strong views on this. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I suspect we'll be talking about this again in, in a few weeks. In some other, yeah. man, be other, some other manifested topic in the news. And guess what? We were talking about this a few weeks ago. Right. Let us tee up the next topic. John, this is for you because you've been the Starlink guy. We did this specifically for you. And yeah. I, I, I actually changed the language of this topic a little bit because I, I, I really do think there's a lot of folks looking at Starlink as a, as a potential answer to people who are, are having difficulty, particularly places, people who are in remote areas or in places where it's just not easy to get reliable uh, Internet access. But you've been using it for some time, if I'm not right. mistaken. What's been your experience and do you think it's the real deal?
3: My experience has been very mixed. Uh, I've been using it since February. Um, You know, granted, if you're closer to the 49th parallel, your results will probably be better than I have been um, because they're still clustered. They don't have enough satellites up there yet in these low-Earth orbit satellites. Um, And they have not uh, solved some of the problems they have with their earthbound stations so what happens is it gets communicated down obviously to uh data centers and things on the planet earth and then it gets bounced around it. and that's where they have some serious problems with these um, millisecond um, dropouts and those millisecond dropouts foil any attempt to do something like this which is like a video conferencing Starlink can't do that yet. So uh, also it was funny because recently some of my editors said, hey, you know, that Starlink that you've been talking about and reviewing and writing about, should we just finalize it because it's a final product? And I said, no, it's not a final product. I know it seems like forever that it should be by now a final product, but it's not a final product. Um, When when he dropped that online that, oh, in October, we're going to, you know, it's not going to be beta anymore. I was shocked. I was totally shocked. So because just this weekend we were trying to stream like the, uh, well, they call it football there, but soccer games that were going on. We were trying to stream that on online and Starlight kept dropping it. So it, it's still, it, it's not ready for prime time, but neither is the self driving software far from being ready for prime time. And that isn't going to stop them either, apparently. So
1: we'll see. Uh Rob, do you have a view on that? So, okay. yeah, I wrote this, the, the, the
2: sort of cryptic next month Elon Musk tweet. <laughs> <and, and> it <replied laughs> to some Canadian gamer who the day before had complained on Twitter that his Starlink uh, terminal had not arrived yet. Uh, and so what does it mean for Starlink to exit beta? Nobody knows. Does it mean they will more clearly define the speed you'll get? Will they change the price? Will they clarify, like formally renounce having a data cap or implement one? Nothing, I emailed uh, SpaceX PR. Weirdly enough, they did not answer me about that. Um, But the thing is, people (laughs) are pinning a lot of hope on this because in some places there is no other option. I was reading a story in uh, the uh, Rappahannock News. Rappahannock County, Virginia is way to the Southwest of me. Lovely countryside. And it was recounting how the schools have been setting up some families with Starlink terminals because those people don't even have cell service. So it's this or nothing. And so you have to hope that upgrades, like for instance, right now they're at about 1,600 of these little nano satellites. Their FAA, sorry, F, FCC authorization clears them for 4,400 to build out the constellation. Part of it is allowing them to sort of mesh network. Here we go again, form a mesh, no, mesh, mesh network in orbit with laser beam links. Sounds cool, huh? And that way you sort of get aside the problems of having to bounce things from orbit to the ground and back. The satellites can talk to each other and hopefully allow for a more consistent service. Because I've talked to enough world broadband advocates who don't expect great things out of it, but they still think that it's going to be something like this, if not Starlink, OneWeb, or Project Kuiper, the uh, Amazon project for another low Earth orbit constellation of broadband satellites, that is going to have to fill in, cover that last 1% to 3% where nothing else works right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. What Rob just said, I, I forgot to mention that in, in Vermont, for example, there is no cellular service, there is no cable um, or optical line, although the timing of this is interesting, too, because there was a lot of money put out for infrastructure projects for rural areas. And it just so happens right about now in Vermont, in these areas, they're stringing lines and digging cables and dropping some of that cable now, finally. So maybe Starlink is feeling the pressure of some of these projects, like oh, we better get it out there before the cable gets hooked up and the other competition happens. But um, yeah, it's it's also don't get me wrong, it is fast. Often, you know, we're talking two hundred and fifty megabits per second. It's just it has all these hiccups that prevent it from being a really good solution mm-hmm. to a lot of people.
1: But it, just two fifty down, uh, you, yeah. what kind of speeds you get out? You, what you only get what twenty five? uh 30, 40 up it
3: depends um
2: better than you know, a lot of cable. actually pretty much all cable systems yeah. yeah
3: it's not bad at all but again you know it's these millisecond dropouts that they have the problem with and they haven't resolved and they've sent us emails saying they're going to resolve it. As to what it means by going out of bay, Rob, I think what it means is I won't be allowed to send it back. But <laughs> <laughs> it on yeah. your schedule, see. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like hoping the cable company, they just were laying some lines. I'm like, they're racing trying to beat Starlink. Will they get it connected before I can send my Starlink back? We'll see.
1: Stuart, your thoughts? Well, well
0: I have one superfluous thought and one more uh, more serious thought. The first surplus. When I started hearing about Starlink and all of these issues, all I could think of was how did they do communications on Star Trek on planet that had like no technology at all? They touched their chest and yet they can communicate with a starship <laughs> in upper Earth orbit. And and it just started to occur to me that they're making up technology like they did the, the transporter, but that's totally off topic. Um, Release 17 of the 5G standard is supposed to include um, 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 specifications for satellite uh, cellular uh, connectivity. And even more advanced than that, I've just read a recent paper uh, detailing what 6G is supposed to be. And 6G is going to be a gigantic step forward. It's a whole different platform. But part of it is what they're calling ubiquitous um, connectivity, which includes LEO, MEO, and GEO satellite communications. Um, So the next generation of cellular connection, which is supposed to start happening in 2030, I mean, they're developing it now, obviously, but it's supposed to be where 5G is now in about 2030. The only issue that that springs to my mind with that kind of you that connectivity ubiquity, where satellites are not only a major part of the network but could be the primary part of the six G network, is the sky pollution that we're all talking about, and the, all that garbage in space. They're going to put all of these satellites up in orbit, and apparently, OEO at least is just so crowded. I mean, it it doesn't look crowded. <laughs> You know when you're up there, but there's these nuts and bolts flying around up there. So I, I think they're going to not only have to have a major effort to get satellites up there, but they're also going to have a multinational effort to clean up what's up there already, because you don't want things flying into these hundreds if not thousands of satellites that might be up there in the next decade or so.
3: Right, we're we're already a thousand, th- several thousand now, mm-hmm. and. Remember, every time they launch them, they want to put them on the, the larger rocket, too, so they can launch like several hundred all at yeah. once. Yeah. There is a 2% failure rate for Starlink. So 2% of all of those satellites, the minute they get up there, are dead. Um, and so there's basically space junk. And that's regarded as a really excellent failure.
1: Yes, that, that, that is true. That's a, not a bad failure rate when it comes yeah, to satellites. They have, though. Right. They're
2: actually low enough, 340 miles, so the, the first Starlink satellites have already reentered. So, this is not <laughs> if you're getting up to like 500 miles or 700, where it's going to be there for a while. This right. is something where, if you read through the, the FCC authorizations for Starlink and other constellations, a lot of it is, you know, yes, are you going to clean up, clean up after yourself? Will you make sure that these things are designed to deorbit themselves? And if they can't deorbit themselves for whatever reason, they will not stick around for too long. Well,
0: well I think that's out, why instance, the 6G people are plotting for MEO and geosynchronous which is 10 times as high where the skies aren't quite so crowded all day
2: and to paraphrase another another star trek character (laughs) <laughs> Scotty, you cannot break the laws of physics. You do think yeah. this orbit is never going to do anything for very fast responsive communications because you've got 44,000 miles of latency from that right. round trip from Earth. Well, like I think Earth.
0: they're talking about bouncing them off other satellites in lower orbit. I don't think it's, yeah. they're talking about yeah. geosynchronous I, I, with a direct link. Yeah,
1: well, I I got we got we got two more topics to again. talk about.
0: <laughs> 5G working. <laughs>
1: Halfway is, right, we got two more topics to talk about, but I got yes, I saw that story We got two more topics to talk about, but I, I just make a warning: when a marketing person uses the word ubiquitous in any conversation about any piece of technology, you know you're in trouble. Let me just. It say wasn't.
0: That. It wasn't a marketing person. It was. It was a. It was an electron. It was an engineer.
1: That's even scarier. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's go, let's flip to the next topic, and it's kind of it's a good segue to this topic. And why I say about, you know, everybody's talking about all these recent, um, call them stunts, you know, with Elon Musk, with Jeff Bezos, which are, you know, basically flights up and flight back. You know, commercial space travel to me, you know, it's a much more practical matter than some of these, you know, demos essentially that are happening, uh, have been happening over the last uh, couple of months. And, you know, I look at, you know, the, the opportunity where I see commercial space travel happening is the ability to go from, let's say, in lower Earth orbit, you know, from London to Japan in an hour and a half versus 27 hours, you know, because the, 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 the uh, craft of that can, you know, can, can, can travel at incredible speeds versus um, conventional uh, commercial flights. But, I mean, Stuart, let me start with you. I mean, do you really think we're getting ahead of ourselves here or do you think that, I mean, I know, I know there's baby steps involved before we get to that vision where, You know, commercial space travel is a real thing in terms of it's really just a form of transportation more than anything else. But what what are your thoughts on the whole commercial space travel thing? Well, first of all, the fact that
0: we're having space travel at all, and that I I still hear noises, oh, we could be spending that money more wisely elsewhere. And I've never understood that argument, considering the benefits that space technology has brought here on earth. We would not have the iPhone without the space program. Not the landing. As well, as oh, that. other things. So That's the that's first that's
1: thing. Absolutely true. The,
0: se- the second thing is all things that start out as very rare, You know, for instance, when Columbus crossed the ocean blue, it was just the sailors and the explorers. And for you know, you had the Mayflower, and then you had steamship. So all of these things, you cannot look at these in the context of only this moment. This is a beginning, you know. It, it's funny that we have all of these science fiction films where you have people going into space. We didn't have that, you know. You didn't have movies when Columbus crossed, predicting that we would soon be sending settlers over, you know, on steamship and and all of that sort of stuff. So this is a this is a foothold, and I think looking out fifty years from now, that people will look back on this as. That was the start, and here we are now. And this is just this is solving technology problems. It's solving um, it's solving the problems of being able the cost problems. You know, any new con- consumer technology that ever comes out there, obviously, it's a very high price, and it'll be the same with this. And eventually, as it becomes, you'll excuse the word, more ubiquitous, it will be. You know, prices will come down as they do for all things. and i I agree with that
1: i agree with that i want to bring robin in a second but the only observation i'll make i I think the reason why it's getting a bit of a bad name is that the these initial flights are being flown by flown on by you know multi-billionaires and the way it's come no hold, hold on for one second the way it's being i think perceived by the american population or by the population in general is that this billionaire is billionaires spending a bunch of money for a thrill that they would never otherwise be able to experience.
0: I and- think that it's good that they're doing it because they're showing that it's safe. If they're willing to do it themselves, I don't think that people understand how dangerous this has been perceived. Remember Apollo 1. So I'm so the fact that these guys not only are paying for it, but are willing to take the risk and showing people if I'm willing to do it, it's okay. as opposed to just sending up astronauts or brave people. I think this whole thing demonstrates that what they're trying to demonstrate is that it's not as dangerous as it used to be or is perceived to be. There is still very fresh on the mind the Columbia disaster and all sorts of things like that. So I think they're going up is is is. Bridging a huge gap between is it safe and is it not safe, and I think that shortens that kind of safety credibility gap.
1: So, Rob, if I could give you a gift card for SpaceX, would you? Would your family let you go <laughs> on the next flight? <laughs> uh, yes.
2: If you you may not recognize over my shoulder, there is a picture of the second to last space shuttle launch. Uh, to its to its left, right, whichever direction, there is <laughs> a Lego model of the International Space Station. I'm a card carrying space nut. And uh, I think it is a very good thing that we're making this not just the property of governments. You know, yeah. that's not to say we're, we're immediately going to flip the switch and, you know, be like the the opening early scenes of 2001 of Space Odyssey's taking the Pan Am Space Shuttle. Uh, but by the same token. We're going
1: to Howard Johnson's on, on, on the uh, space right, on the station. Uh,
2: you know. Commercial air travel, it wasn't like suddenly a big 1.0 and then 2.01 from the Wright brothers to Charles Lindbergh in the spirit of St. Louis to Pan Am. And now you're flying across the Atlantic and it's routine. Mm -hmm. It was bit by bit, step by step. And this is the same thing that's happening. And it will happen faster. Mm -hmm. It is not. We're not waiting on NASA to sign a gigantic procurement contract with Boeing who can then, you know, deliver like the Space Launch System rocket, which is now years and years late and billions of dollars over budget, and I like the fact that it's, it's some uh, uh, American entrepreneurs making this happen.
1: But but you didn't answer my question, Rob. Would you go on? I, and I'm not. I'm right, being, yes, very serious. Yes. Would you Would you go if you had the option? Yeah. So the Virgin
2: Galactic. Uh, that's interesting. They really got their wrists slapped in, in a way that's going to leave a mark by the Federal Aviation Administration because they didn't document the fact that they had to divert from their flight path. They left the plan envelope of that test where Sir Richard Branson got to fly suborbital and, you know, see the Earth's curvature from 50 miles up. And that's really bad. Like if you don't have a functioning safety culture where you, you document what, what goes wrong I so agree. you don't do it again. You are going to get people killed. Hmm. Uh, But SpaceX, uh, the Falcon 9 rocket has got an outstanding safety record. Uh, The Dragon capsule, same thing. And even Blue Origin, where they've yet to actually put any objects in orbit. (laughs) But they do seem to have been taking the time to get it right with their rocket and their booster. And you know, I don't actually have the scratch to afford a ticket right now, and these companies are returning my queries about press passes. So, <laughs> I don't know how that works out.
1: Well, Rob, Christmas is coming, well, and coming. I'll make sure I remember that when we when when right. I, I think about the present. I need to get you for doing all these podcasts for, with us. John, right. your final thoughts on this topic?
3: No, I, I would go too. I would go in a second and a heartbeat. Um, I think it's a, a fascinating. Um, progress is being made it still seems like inexorably slow progress but uh you know we're we're still not back on the moon again and uh you know i think about all the things when we were kids we were going to be on mars and beyond by this time i mean what's why is it taking us so long but no i think it's it is great progress i think it is a, a a useful way to spend that money as well um In terms of getting the technology forward and making it more of a regular thing um and i I do think uh you know that uh stewart's right that it does show hey it is safe um if i'm willing to do that um what's going to be interesting is sort of what spawned this with is it a viable thing to do a commercial operation and i know when they started doing this they thought they would sell seats for about 250 million dollars something like that i think they're up to 450 So we're talking like, you know, half a billion dollars or something for a seat on one of these. But uh, there'll be people who have that money and who are going to be willing to pay it. I bet they'll sell every seat they can for a while.
1: Well, I'll be happy just going on Space Mountain at Disney World. <laughs> okay? uh, That's the kind of guy that I am. But uh, This is a closing point on this. I think the point that Rob made is a, is a very salient one, and that is the whole idea that, that's what's been remarkable for the last, um, you know, 10 years, call it 15 years, is that all this activity has been funded by the private sector. And I think you, you, the private sector approaches this in a much cost effective Actually, they've got great track records if you look at the, the, the commercial aviation business in this country, not space travel, of course, but the aviation business. Now we have an enviable track record, despite the fact that people do die from time to time in plane crashes and things like that. We have organizations like the f a a which is a government agency that works in tandem with with the private sector, and the track record is um unapproachable, frankly you know, in comparison to other forms of uh, transportation and The last plug that i 'll make in because it's you know if you haven 't seen for all mankind the the uh, that apple series uh, no, that addresses this topic specifically, what would have happened had we continued? And not stopped with the moon landing, and you know we didn't take that kind of long break uh, right. for about 20 years. So let's hit the last topic, and I'll bring us back to Earth. <laughs> the topic that I, you love that little that, that pun. Uh, iPad iOS 15 and iPad OS 15 is out this week. I uploaded uh, downloaded uh, uh, yesterday, and I uh, didn't have any problems want to just get your quick couple of 30 seconds reactions. I mean, first of all, do you guys upgrade right away or do you wait? Hey, let me wait a week to see there's no gremlins in there before you do upgrade because after all, it is your phone. Um, and if you have, uh, I think Rob, Rob you were ha- having some issues, I think with your experience, um, correct? I think I saw, I saw a tweet from you that.
2: Uh, no, not with the update. So I did install iPad OS 15 on my iPad mini five. Basically, I, I waited a whole like several hours to make sure there weren't people complaining that their devices had caught fire or
3: anything. <laughs> um,
2: so the, the install was, was the usual process where you're waiting forever while iPad OS kind of chooses its cut and repairs the update and installs it. Uh, but overall, so, you know, I, I'm a neat Nick. I'm really fussy about my upgrade. grade and, and this stupid update has completely screwed it up. It shoved random widgets in here. Yeah. Uh, which, like, by default, it's stuck a a one by one uh, calendar widget where I can see one update, one event on it. What's the point? <laughs> like, show me what else is on the calendar. Uh, it's got this weird grid where there's this negative space in either side. It's it's a I think a six by four grid instead of six by six. So I'm I'm wasting pixels for some reason. Um, you know, there are parts of it that are nice. It's nice that we actually have home screen widgets on the iPad, which we did not before. I have the app library, which for some reason didn't make the cut. I have the translate app, which for another reason, we just couldn't put on the iPad before. Uh, I still don't know why Apple can't ship a weather app and a calculator app for the iPad, because I guess it's really hard. Just give right. me a big version of the iPhone one. Don't ever think the problem. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, still sort of figuring out what I like and don't like. Um... You know the the new safari interface it's taken some getting used to uh on the other hand it it seems less it seems to have cut back on trying to force me into a multi-window environment when it just doesn't work that well on an ipad Mm. you know the the old safari was constantly opening pages into a new window and then forgetting about it and you get to the point where you you tap and hold the safari icon show all windows and you've got like four of these little orphan windows stuck on the screen that you didn't know were there so th- that seems to be progress. Um, yeah, otherwise, still making my way around it. You know, I, I am going to have to spend probably like two hours painstakingly dragging these app icons so I can finally make sense of things and not get lost.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting about these, um, uh, these mobile operating system upgrades by Apple, or these new releases, I should say, too, because this fits into the new release. There's so many features they pack in there. You you don't really and they try to do a, a decent job of discoverability with you know with alerts and notifications especially when you install for the first time, but you know I'll will you know be alerted to things that I didn't know it had until I'm a month into the into using it and, um, and that's a challenge. Stuart, your thoughts on the whole upgrade experience? Do you are you one of those? Well, guys I mean, that scum they, in they,
0: they they released the upgrade while I was on the Amtrak coming down here, so I upgraded. I didn't have my iPad to upgrade. I only had my phone to upgrade. And it took about an hour to download the upgrade which i was very surprised about it may be just the corporate network that i'm on but it took a while just real briefly and most of the stuff looks fine i like the look of the new maps and the maps seem a lot more detailed than they did before i'm not sure that i like the address bar in safari being at the bottom of the page instead of the top of the page that's going to take a little getting used to and i'm not sure i understand the logic Behind that, but I do like when they want to show you the different uh, um, pages that you have open, instead of it being sort of like a Rolodex slide deck, it's now a grid. Yes. I don't know if that's something that you can control or not. I also like the fact that in mail, you can now set it so you can have privacy, so it doesn't display your ISP or your email address, which I thought was interesting. I'm going to have to look into more of that. So there's a lot of, um, apparently, they've added a lot of other privacy things into, uh, I, they upgraded me free to iCloud Plus, even though I was already paying for it. Um <laughs> Um, but that seems to have some additional privacy features. They didn't explain how they work. They just said that they're there. So I'm I'm still exploring. But it looks like that there's a lot of positive stuff. There's some nagging negative stuff. But all in all, usually when they have it, and all in all, it just seems that what I opened up one screen that said you could do this if you do that if you do this, and I'm reading these instructions. And I'm going. I think I know what I'm doing, but I have no idea what this means. John, John, let me give you the last word. Sure, I'm like, don't do it, don't upgrade yet.
3: That's my first first recommendation. Whenever anybody asks me that, it's been that's been my recommendation since DOS 3.0. I mean, oh boy, now you've dated yourself. Real people, I mean, I you know, I use my phone here now. I'm one of the things I'm doing is studying bioethics at New York University. Uh, as a graduate uh, program there so I need to have a vaccination pass every single day renewed every single day to show them on my phone to get into school right to get to get into right. class and now that's become an essential thing so honestly you know upgrading the OS unless you have to because you're a professional like we are I'd say wait to do that because there are bound to be some issues inevitably um but I I, I sort of agree with Stuart too I ran I have it on non-essential things i don't actually need the device so if it crashes and i that you know the the address bar on the bottom of the browser is firefox does that on on android but it drives me crazy it's like look I, i picked up a book because i wanted to see how the book did it you know it's always at the top you put it at the top there's a reason you put it at the top anyway um but there are some new features so but wait wait
1: don't rush into this. See, I, I use that strategy. I, I do subscribe to the beta program, you know, for the for the Apple upgrades, and I would never put those on a production system. Right. I mean, I have, again, I've got so much so much stuff at home that I have a backup system. That hey, you know, if it blows up, it blows up. I still I'm not going to upgrade until I absolutely have to. And I've had I, I had a, a nasty experience with um, a Mac a couple of years ago. And I, it may have been my fault, for all I know, is that I'd made the upgrade and it bricked the unit. Oh, I mean, man. and and I had to go through a very extensive procedure. Now, fortunately, I had a backup. I had a time machine backup, so it didn't, you know, cost me, so to speak, from data, from a data loss standpoint. But you know, let me tell you something. There are sometimes uh, that can that can scare the the uh, the bejesus <laughs> out of you, frankly, when you upgrade your when, and all of a sudden nothing fires up on the screen. But right, right. Well, guys, this has been great. Listen, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. As always, John Stewart and Rob, for taking the time to join me for today's podcast, for our viewing and listening audience, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please visit Parks Associates at www.parksassociates.com. And until next time, have a great week here on Earth. I'll talk to you guys later.